It is good to be here with you this morning. I'm just going to move this out of the way. One of the neat things, and, and this is why I asked Yvette to read it in Spanish, one of the neat things about living in Banff is you just have people from all over the world. And uh, sometimes we just assume everyone speaks the same language that we do until you're at the grocery store and you hear people speaking differently than you. And it's that, uh, that reminder that there's not one language to speak that God hears, but that he hears all of us. And so we're so grateful for that. So thanks for helping in that way, guys. Uh, you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Last week, I did not read any Christmassy texts, and we're going we're gonna to fix that this morning. Um, we're going to talk about peace this morning. Uh, we're going to read a little bit from here, and then Becca has many scripture passages on, that will be on the screen as well, because what we're going to do is we're going to look at peace and what peace actually means. Uh, no different than we did last week. We talked about hope uh, for the first Sunday of Advent and how, how hope is not, uh, at least biblical hope, is not the same way that we use the, hope, the word hope regularly. When we think of hope, we think of some kind of possibility or, or maybe even a, a probability. But biblical hope is based on the promise that God is faithful and that he does what he says. And so while some things have not yet come to completion, we hope not with this, I wonder if God's going to do it, but more in the sense of, I can't wait to see how he does this. And peace is, is going to be a similar conversation because sometimes we think of peace as only the absence from any kind of suffering or, or hurt or anger or frustration or those kinds of things. But we're going to look at peace from a more spiritual context and less in the sense of physical or material or at least right now. We will talk about the fulfillment of peace as well. However, last week, our takeaway from the end was simply this. No matter your current circumstances, no matter the difficulties that you're facing, the challenges, the obstacles that are in front of you, the situation that you don't know how you're going to get through, whatever it is that is in front of you, those circumstances cannot take our hope away from Jesus because we know that he is faithful. So I just want to encourage you in that again. I don't know what kind of week you have had. I don't know the situations that have been presented in front of you. But I know that most of us have not just had a very simple, straightforward, easy week. We've had difficulties and struggles. We've had uncertainties and things that cause us a great deal of angst. So I just want to remind you again as we enter into this time of peace that we still have hope in Jesus. And so hold on to that this morning. Peace. Now let's talk about this for a moment. I looked, um, how many of you remember last year's Sunday, or last year's Advent Sunday on peace? Nobody? Excellent. Oh, Donna, this is just repeat for you now. I looked back on my notes because um, as I was kind of thinking where I wanted to go and what I wanted to talk about, uh, I realized that basically I'm going to talk about the exact same thing. We're going to look at a few different scripture passages, but the point of it all is essentially the same thing. And, and I think the reason why this has been on my mind so much is, as Ernie kind of made reference to, is over these last almost two years, it's crazy to even say that, right? But over the last almost two years, peace has been lacking 
in our world. And sometimes when we talk about it in the sense of our world, it's, it depersonalizes it because it's so big. But peace has been lacking within our families, within our homes for many people. Dealing with COVID and the opinions that we've had and, and the reasons why we think what we think, some of that has led to a way, way more animosity than ever should exist. And so I want to talk about peace, not in the sense of COVID, but peace in the sense of you, are, you have the opportunity to live at peace here right now today. And I think that's very good news because I think we need that. I don't know very many people that just want to have another conversation about restrictions or about the government's response to or about, like, none of us want that. We just want to move on from that, I think. And so let's look at how can we do that, at least in part. I, it, it, I know it's not, we're not just going to pretend like this current season that we're in just doesn't exist. But how can we have a unique and a different perspective? That is what my hope is as we leave from here. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. Now this is a passage, we're going to read 20, uh, sorry, verses 1 to 20. And this is the passage, this is very special to me and I, I hope to you. Every Christmas, as long as I can remember back, Christmas morning, we gathered together as a family and we sat around in the living room by the Christmas tree, but before we did any kind of Christmassy things, we read this passage together. Help to focus us on the fact that this is not about presents, this is not about things that we get, but this is about Jesus. And that tradition has continued on, and, and this is one of the most important things for us in our family. The, probably the most important thing in our family is, is we actually, Shayla and I, we drag our mattress out to the Christmas tree, like little children, uh, each Christmas, and that's where we sleep. And then at three in the morning, I wake up and I unplug the lights because I still haven't fallen asleep. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just this fun family tradition thing. And then when we wake up, this is the first thing that we do. We read this. We center ourselves on why are we even here? Why are we excited about Christmas? All the anticipation, all those things, that this is the focus. And so may I be so bold as to say, would you consider doing the same in your family this year? Focus yourself on these verses. Let's read it together. It says this. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration for Quirinius when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We're going to probably look at that text again in a few short weeks. And so I'm not actually going to talk about very much of this text except for verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. This is the announcement that the angels give to the shepherds. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Notice that the angels declare peace to everyone, but also notice that they do it with a qualification. And I think this is important for us to understand, because the question often gets asked to me at least, and perhaps to you as well, is people will say, if Jesus came to bring peace, then why does the world look the way it does? It's actually a reasonable question, isn't it? Because the world looks very broken. There's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of arguing. There's war, there's, you could fill in the blank. Peace does not seem at, at hand right now. But if you notice the qualification to this, it starts to begin to make sense. Glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth peace among whom? What does it say? Among those with whom he is pleased. The angel makes this qualification, and I think we need to pay attention to it. One of the reasons I think that this, we have not seen this is uh, many of us have memorized translations that are older translations, some of which maybe are good and some of which maybe are not the best translations. And sometimes we quote it in this way where we say, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, which is a very different sentence than what we just read. Because one is a generic statement to all and one is something where it's qualified. And that's important. I think sometimes we quote this at Christmas time without realizing that there's a qualifying statement and then expect it to be unconditional. And again, then what we're doing is we're not allowing God to speak for himself. We're not allowing the word of God to create a theology within us. We're making a statement and saying this is what it should be. And then we see something in here and we don't know how to make those make sense. How do we reconcile these two things? Well, it says, who is God pleased with? Those who what? Well, it doesn't say in this verse. So we have to start doing a little bit of homework. And actually, the homework isn't really hard because, maybe I shouldn't say this. The homework isn't really hard because we have Google. <laughs> Google is not always right, just for the record. But you can go to biblical thesauruses online and you can look up things that you need to look up real fast, faster than ever has existed in the world. Don't let that become a reason to be lazy. But also, do take advantage of those opportunities because it's great. So if you Google this, who is God pleased with? The first verse in Scripture that will pop up in your search engine is this, Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The answer is right there. 
Whom is God pleased with? Those who have faith that Jesus came, that Jesus who is who he claimed he was, and that we want to be in relationship with him. That's whom God is pleased with. And so in Luke 2 here, the shepherds are seeking. They, and now remember, this is written predominantly here to a group of people who have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years, thousands of years. They have been eagerly expecting, when is the Messiah going to come? Now, as the New Testament fleshes out, they didn't really understand all of the intricacies of what the Messiah was going to do. But they were waiting for that moment. They were searching for that moment. They wanted to see the Messiah. And so the angels appear to the shepherds and they tell them, he's here. Go and see him. And they go, and I love one little verse, or one little word that the shepherds are described as. It says, they went with haste. That's maybe not a word we use very much. They, they ran, is what we could say. They didn't hear the message and then go, I guess we'll get around to that. It was, we're going we're gonna to go and see this thing that has happened right now. They believed the angels. They believed the story that was told to them. Here is what is happening. Faith is the key. Do we believe what God tells us? Do we believe what God has said in his word? Who has peace with God? Well, the one who has faith in him. In Hebrews, as it says that in 11 verse 6, the chapter continues to go on and talks about all these great men and women of old in the Old Testament, and we sometimes call that passage heroes of faith or or something like that, and it talks about each and every one of them not seeing what God had promised fulfilled, but acknowledging it from a distance. They believed that God would do what he said, and so they were commended for their faith. God was pleased with them. Because they believed him. When we come to God, when we realize that apart from Jesus' gift of salvation on the cross, there is no other way to be in relationship with God. And when we see that, then we read in 1 John 1, 9 this, if we confess our sins, what is he? Faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is where we find peace with God. Because until Jesus came, there was not peace with God because sin was not yet dealt with. But when sin is dealt with on the cross and Jesus sacrifices himself as our atonement for sin, all of a sudden we can have relationship with God because of his sacrifice. We now have peace with God because our sins are forgiven. It's not talking about some kind of physical or material peace, at least not yet. And glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angel is literally saying, the one who has come to bring you spiritual peace is here. The one who has come so that there is no longer hostility between God and man is here. He has come and he will do his part. Now will we do ours? Will we believe in faith that Jesus is who he claimed to be? See, this is something that we sometimes forget. But that God is not primarily concerned with the physical or the material. He's concerned with the spiritual. 
He's not concerned as much that you have everything that you need physically or materially. He's concerned that you know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you would enter into relationship with him. And that he has offered freely to every single person. But we get really focused on the material really easily. God, I don't have enough money this month. God, I don't have health that I need right now. Or that thing over there that I see, if I had that, then I would be satisfied. All these things, it can be so easy to become discontent in the world that we live in. But when we remember that unless Jesus came, that the only option in front of us would be an eternity in hell, when we remember that, Then all of a sudden, those little things that we want and that we think we need, they're far less important because we know that one day we will pass away and we will stand face to face with God at the judgment. And if we have had faith in Jesus Christ, then we will be with him forever. That's what God wants us to focus on. That's what we should focus on. That's what we as the church should remind each other. We should say, praise the Lord that you have a Savior who has gone before you. Do you have needs in the physical or material sense? Of course, and we want to meet those as best we can, and we want to help each other in that, but not at the expense of the spiritual, because the spiritual is eternal, the physical and the material is temporary. See, God knows us, and so he has brought us the opportunity of spiritual peace before him. Romans 8, I said this last week, Romans 8 is just, it's just my favorite chapter, and I'm pretty sure this would be the most quoted chapter in my ministry, but in verses 38 and 39, we are promised this. Paul says, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have peace no matter what circumstance presents itself to you. No matter the hardship that you face, no matter the obstacle that comes, no matter the need that you see in your life that very well may be a need. I'm not trying to diminish that by anything, but what Paul's saying to us is that you will never be pulled away from the love of God that he has toward you because of Jesus. That is the greatest news that we could have. Our circumstances don't get in the way of our hope, which we talked about last week. and They shouldn't get in the way of our peace as well. In fact, Philippians 4, 7 says this. This is an often quoted verse. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Literally what that verse is saying is that no matter what your situation that you're facing in, Christ has a way to bring peace into your life that others will see and go, that doesn't make any sense. How can you be at peace when this is happening? How can you be at peace when this difficulty or this tragedy or this illness or whatever has come? Well, we have peace because we know that this is not the end. If we're diagnosed with a terminal illness and that might be the worst thing that we could imagine happening to us, we can still have peace knowing that that moment when we do pass away is not the end. We can have peace. 
Jesus told his disciples the exact same thing uh, twice in the book of John. In just a couple of chapters, he says this. First in 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But notice the qualifier. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. It looks different for Jesus. He clarifies in 1633 when he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes people argue that that verse seems to contradict itself. Jesus, which do we have? Do we have peace or do we have tribulation? And the answer Jesus gives is what? Yes. Because they're not necessarily this mutually exclusive thing that we think they are. Is you will have peace, but you will have tribulation. Because you have an enemy. You have one that does not want you to bow the knee to Jesus. And he will do any and everything he can to discourage you and to put obstacles in your path that would make you turn from God. But what Jesus says is, take heart, I have overcome the world. And I have given you peace. So when you go through those hardships, remember that that, yes, it's a hardship. Yes, it's a trial. Yes, it's a tribulation. But it's temporary and you will live for eternity with me. In the book of Isaiah, we read the prophet talking about peace in a very specific context. And in chapter 53, which is the most famous chapter about Jesus' crucifixion, 700 years before Jesus even comes, he writes this in verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. 700 years before Jesus comes and Isaiah writes it as if it's already happened. He has brought us peace. That's God's plan right from the beginning. I could sum it up and maybe I should have said this to begin with, but then we wouldn't have a sermon. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. However, that's only the first part of it. We have peace with God. But I think we can also have peace with one another, at least in part. It starts between us and God. But then God wants to use us in the lives of others that we would bring that peace or at least the opportunity of that peace and that we would share that with others so that they see it. You see, your Christian life is never, primarily, or never only about you and Jesus. It starts there, but then the rest of the Bible talks about how now this is meant to be lived out in community. This is meant to be lived out in the local church. This is meant to be shared together so that we can encourage one another, that we can lift one another up, and that we can send one another out, and that we can share this message of Jesus. This message of hope that we looked at last week, and this message of peace that we're looking at this morning. It's meant to be shared. Colossians 3.15 says it this way, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So let that peace of Christ rule in your heart, and now let it come out of you. May it flow out of you into others. 
There's a verse in Romans 12 that I've shared several times over the last few weeks, and and over the last few months, this has been kind of what I've tried to live by. This has been, I guess, my theme verse for this season of life, whether it's at a board meeting or at an AGC conference or whether it's just at a Bible study. I've been saying this over and over and over. Romans 12, 18 says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Reminded of a few things in this verse. First of all, Paul says, if possible. Implication is you can't make people live at peace with you. Right? We know this to be true. There's all kinds of expressions like this, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. If you're a parent, you can teach them everything to do that's right. That doesn't mean they're going to. In fact, more often than not, we feel like we're losing that battle. We can do our part, but that doesn't mean that the other will reciprocate. But Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. So that means, and you all know this to be true, is when a conflict comes your way, you have a lot of power over that conflict by the way in which you respond. You can exacerbate that conflict real easy and real quick. Husbands and wives, think of it this way, is when, when your spouse comes to you with a concern or a complaint or some serious issue, if we put up a wall of defensiveness and we fight fire with fire, does it work real well? No. It never does. But when we try with a peaceable spirit to listen to what's being said and to respond with grace and mercy, we have a chance to break down those walls. Instead of getting heated and having the argument escalate, we can de-escalate it and we can bring it into a moment of clarity. So as, if possible, as long as it depends on you. And then the last thing, live peaceably with who? Everyone. Those that disagree with you, those that fundamentally disagree with the way that you live, try and live peaceably with them. Try and extend peace and grace to them even when they want to attack. That's what Paul is saying. You've heard me quote this verse over and over and over, but 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So that means that your responsibility is to go out and to represent Christ so that they would see him and that they would go, I need that. That peace that you have that doesn't make sense, even though your world is falling apart, uh, my world's falling apart too, and I don't have any peace. Can you explain to me why you have peace? And then we can be his ambassador, and we can share that. We can show that with those around us. In fact, it's our responsibility to tell and to show others that not only do we have peace with God, but they can too. This season, probably easier than any, is why can we have peace with God? Because He came to be with us. He is our Emmanuel. Praise the Lord for that. We can share with others that they can find peace, that they can find freedom from the anxiety that they're facing, the stresses that they're facing, the challenges that they're facing. No, those challenges and stresses won't completely go away. But their perspective will change. And the only way that we can have any right to speak into their life with that is if we've shown that we have input that into our hearts. Christ has given you peace. 
peace with God. Will we live in that? That is my challenge for us. So let me read Romans 12, 18 again, and then we'll transition to communion. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let's pray, and then we'll flip to 1 Corinthians. God, thank you that Jesus came to the earth. That in this season of Advent that we are preparing to celebrate Christ's birth again, that we are reminded of your faithfulness. And that your primary concern was our spirituality, that you would draw us to you. And the only way our sins could be forgiven was through Jesus Christ. We do not stand with hostility between us and you now. Because Jesus stands in between. And so God, I pray that we would be reminded of that, that when we look at our circumstances and we see the challenges and the difficulties and the uncertainties and all those things that exist there, may we center on the fact that we don't have uncertainty spiritually because we know that Jesus came for us. And so God, when we face the challenges that are in front of us, Would we face them with this renewed perspective that others would see it and that they would wonder, how can we live in peace amidst such chaos? And as the verse in Colossians says, may we live at peace with others. May we extend that peace that you've given to us and may we show others that it can be theirs as well. God, in this specific season that we find ourselves in, where there is lots of hostility, where arguments and conversations can get real heated real quick, may we remember that we can offer peace in the midst of that chaos. God, help us to live with peace towards everyone that we interact with, as much as it depends on us. God, thank you for all of these things. Amen. If you want to just flip ahead to 1 Corinthians, and we'll read this familiar text that we read every month in chapter 11, starting at verse 23. And so if you don't have uh, communion stuff, if you walked past and missed it, just, just raise your hand and somebody will from the back will be happy to bring that uh, towards you. But as we kind of think about this is no matter which Sunday of Advent this falls, it would be very easy to tie in, but how much more this idea of peace. That we stood opposed to God. Paul says it this way in Romans, that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That hostility is no longer there. And it's because of Jesus, not only his birth, but his life, His death on the cross and his resurrection again has given us everything that we could possibly need. So let's pray, or sorry, let's read these verses together and then pray. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 11, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance 
of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I just want to spend a few moments in prayer and in silence that we would do exactly what Scripture asks us to do here. That we would evaluate our own hearts, that we would ask that God would show us what in our hearts and our minds needs to be dealt with. So that as we eat and as we drink in a few moments, that we don't do so out of any improper motives. But that we get to this place of thankfulness where we eat and drink to proclaim that Jesus is coming again and that one day we will be with him for all of eternity. And that's when peace will have its fulfillment in totality. Not only spiritually, but physically and materially as well. So let's just bow. Let's spend a few moments in silence and then I'll pray for the elements that we have. So let's just bow and let's pray. God, this morning we are so grateful that right from the beginning of Scripture that when Adam and Eve chose to sin and sin nature came into the world that you you weren't satisfied just to let that be the end. But that you had a plan in place that our sins might be forgiven. And so, God, when we take these moments of of quiet and silence to examine our own hearts, God, we know there is so much in there that shouldn't be. And so, God, would you forgive us of our selfishness? Would you deal with the things in our heart that we know should not be there? But, God, as we think about even that we, we know that you have given us the Holy Spirit and that through him that you can work in us so that we are capable of following after you completely and fully devoted to you. And so God, I pray that each one of us, that we would live in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would not listen to our sin nature, but that we would realize what that does, what it accomplishes, which is nothing. Nothing good. But would we run after you? God, as we consider the truth of who you are, of your 
your sending Jesus to the cross, that he died on the cross, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. We are reminded again that the only reason that we have peace with you is because Jesus was faithful. That he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so God, would we really consider these things in this season? Would we remember that we have peace because of you, not because of us? But may we also remember that you have given us this Holy Spirit so that we can now extend this peace to others. That they would see and that they would know that they can have peace with God as well. So God, in this moment, we we thank you as Advent is here. We thank you that Jesus came to the earth. We also look forward now to the cross and we are reminded that that is the moment where our salvation was bought and paid for by your blood. So may our focus be on Jesus. God, would you continue to work in our hearts in amazing ways that we would see who you are, that we would live the way that you have called us to live, not because we are capable, but because you have given us the spirit and that we can submit to him and that we can live in that power. God, we thank you for all that you have done. Amen. So let's take this, the cracker in your hand that represents Christ's body, broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. And in the same way, let's take the cup and let's remind ourselves that this represents Christ's blood spilled for us. The only sacrifice that was sufficient for our sins to be dealt with. And let's drink in remembrance of him. God, as we leave this place now and as we head back perhaps to our home, perhaps to work, perhaps to any other scenario that's in front of us. God, may we not forget these things as we walk out the door. May we not dichotomize our spiritual life from everything else, but would we remember that we want to live for you in every aspect of our lives. And so God, I pray that each one as they go from here, that you would be so present in their lives that they would live for you in each and every opportunity that comes their way. God, we thank you that you have given us meaning and purpose for every day. Go with us now. We love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's been our pleasure to have you with us, and we just uh, encourage you to stick around for a little bit. Uh, if you need anything, if you have prayer concerns, you can come find me or anybody else here for that matter. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye bye.